The scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. Please follow along in your bulletin. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. This is God's word. How you guys doing? Wow, that was the worst one ever. How you guys doing? Okay. Wow. Um, so, if you're here for the first time, my name is uh, Tobin. I'm one of the pastors here at Watermark. Uh, two quick announcements, very quickly, uh, just to dispel any rumors. Uh, yes, uh, my wife is gone. She went to visit her family in California this weekend because someone came in and said to me, "Your Christina must be gone. And I'm like, well, why? And she goes, well... Look at how the kids are dressed. <laughs> you must address them. <laughs> yes, I was responsible for dressing my kids today. So thank you very much. <laughs> it's great having a lot of moms. Uh, also, uh, the other, uh, just to spell anything, you know, you came in and there was a rock on your chair. Uh, we talked about hell last week. So these, these rocks aren't for you to throw at me when you dislike something I say, Okay. So they're not, they're not ammunition or things like that, but they're just things we w we'll use those later on, keep a hold of those, and we're going to talk. Okay, we, uh, we're on a journey. We, we use that word a lot. Um, we're on a journey through the book of Luke. We've been doing Luke for uh, two years now. I figured that we'll finish Luke in next fall. We picked the Gospels because we figured if we looked at Jesus, we couldn't go wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah, we, we picked the Gospels because we looked at Jesus' life, and we realize that uh, in his story is our story. Our story fits into his story. And everything uh, that we need to hear and know uh, is in his life. And so we've been going through Luke for two years now, um, off and on with other things added in there. And so we're on that journey with Luke. We also talk about we're on a journey uh, in life. And one of the things you need to know about journeying through life is that the journey in life is all about relationships. 
It's all about relationships as we go on this journey. Uh, there's two main ones. I kind of think of them because I'm kind of I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm studying medicine, but I kind of think of them as uh, vertically and horizontally. And first, we have that that vertical relationship in our world, and that's with with the Lord, with God, and that we all go on this journey with God. And it's important to remember that when we go on this journey with God, that we should we should be growing in a couple different ways. We should be growing uh, in our awareness of God's holiness. And we should be growing in our awareness of my flesh, my sinfulness. Those things should always be growing in our life. It's why we study the Word of God. It's why we are in church. It's why we, we're in a community group, because people help us understand about God's holiness. God's Word helps us to understand about God's holiness. And being in community helps us to understand about our, our brokenness, our fallenness. And whenever one of those isn't happening, we, we, we misplace grace. We don't understand grace. We don't understand the cross. And so we live lives that are bifurcated or not what God meant for them to be. Also in this journey, we have a horizontal component, and that component is with, with people, relationships, community, your spouse, anybody that you're with there. And as you go on that journey, there's, there's two things we, we, we can never forget also. It's really important. And on that journey, we always got to be growing in our understanding that every person is made in the image of God. Every person is made in the image of God. Every person has God's fingerprint on them. Every person has God's watermark on them. That's why we call this church watermark, because we feel like God has called us to help bring out that watermark. And so everybody is made in the image of God, even your worst enemy and the second thing you need to remember in that journey as individuals with other people in community is that we, we're all broken and sinful. We're all broken and sinful. I mean, if you ever catch yourself saying, oh, I can't believe they did that, what you're saying is, I'm not like that. If you ever catch yourself saying, well, I can't believe this happened this way and I just, that really freaked me out, you're saying, I'm not broken and I'm not sinful, or I'm not as broken as they are, or I'm not as sinful as they are. And if you do that, you'll never live life. You'll never enjoy the journey that God meant for you to enjoy. Never. We're on a journey in Luke, Luke 17. It's important to remember in Luke 17 that as Jesus is teaching, he's going to Jerusalem, he's going to the cross. He's going to die a terrible, terrible death. It's about one week away from this passage. So we're, we're going to get to it next fall, but in, in chronological time, it's one week away. And as he's going on this journey, he's pulling his disciples aside, and he wants to talk to them about what it means to be a follower of Christ. What does it look like to follow Christ? He's going to talk about four things in this passage. He's going to talk about accountability. He's going to talk about forgiveness. He's going to talk about walking in faith. And most importantly, he's going to talk about service. All four of these things, he's going to say, if you are my follower, this is what you do. This is who you are. It's not something special that you do. It's not something that you get a high five for after you score the touchdown. It's just something that you do. It's who you are accountability, forgiveness, faith, service. Those are just things that we do as Christ's followers. And so as we look at this passage, I want to bring out a couple of those things, and I want to talk about 
the, the, the why, the how, and the what of what it means to walk with God on this journey and doing those four things. Now, for some of you, if you're like me, I grew up in, a, in an amazing church in the States, but the focus is always on myself. And so I read a passage and I said, what does this mean for me? How does this apply this to my life? How does this affect me? Probably you're very similar to that. But the scripture is very different. The Bible says that all of these passages are meant not just for you, but for the family of God. That all these passages are meant for us to be lived out in community. They're written to a church, they're written to a community, and you live these things out in community, and sometimes we forget that, and when we forget that, we don't enjoy the journey like God meant for us to enjoy. I'm going to try something today for the first time ever. We'll probably never try it again because it will probably, but we'll see. And what I want to do is I want to lead us in some, some reflective prayer time. I'm going to look at those four points uh, very briefly, and then I want to lead us into some confessional prayer time. I, I've had some prayers written out. This, today's a, a day of prayer, uh, we felt like, as a staff. And so I'm going to do that, um, and we'll, we'll see how that works and what, what goes with that um, as God calls us to, to walk with him and what does it mean to walk with him. You ready? Okay, so Luke 17, verses 1 and 2. And he said to his disciples, it is inevitable that it will happen. It has to happen. Don't be surprised when it happens. It's going to happen. That stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones, one of these Christians, one of these Christ followers, one of my children to fall away from the faith. Jesus says here that Sin coming into our community because we're living as a community is inevitable. It's going to happen. And when we talk about sin, I'm not talking about personality differences. I'm not talking about cultural differences. I'm not talking about preferences, but I'm talking about, about sin. The word in Greek here is a very interesting word. It's scandalon. It's the word we get scandal from. It's this idea in Greek of this bird trap, and the bird trap is like this, and this pole with the bait on it is the scandal on. It's the thing that attracts people to the trap. And when the bird hits that trap, it hits the scandal, the trap closes and kills the bird. And so this is the imagery that Jesus is using, and he's saying these things are going to happen. He's going to say, sometimes you and I, we're going to forget our obligations to him. Sometimes we're going to forget these four things. And when these things, we forget them, sin happens. And his warning to us as a church and as individuals is woe to you. It's a very strong word in the Greek. It means don't do it. It means it would be better for you to be killed by men than to cause somebody to fall away from the faith. It would be better for you to be destroyed in Jesus' day, they actually killed criminals by handing, hanging a millstone around their neck. A millstone was a big piece of two stones, and you put weed in it, and you grind them up, and there'd be a little hole in the center, like a coin that we have, and you'd rip it around. And sometimes they would take criminals and tie a millstone around his neck, and they would throw him into the water. And Jesus says to us, it would be better for that to happen to us than for us to cause somebody to stray away from the faith. It would be better for that to happen to us than if somebody were to look at their life and say, well, that's what being a Christian is like. 
I don't want to have anything to do with that type of Christianity. And so the question we have to ask ourselves today is, how are we doing? Is our faith beautiful? Is Jesus beautiful? When people look at us, do they see Christ in all his glory, and do they see grace and mercy? Do they see beauty? Or are we a stumbling block? Are we a scandal? Are we a scandal on? Are we something that's causing people to run away from Christianity, not to take it seriously? Are we doing harm to the people of God instead of good? As an employee, what would it look like for you to be a scandal to those around you? What would it look like for you as you went into your office this Monday to turn people away from Christ? What would it look like to live a life in such a way that if people found out that you were going to church, they would never want anything to do with church? As an employer, what would it look like to live every day in scandal? What would it look like to cheat your employees? What would it look like so that you are so toxic that your employees don't want to go to church, or at least your church? As a teacher, do your students see Christ in you? When you walk into the classroom, do they see Jesus in your words and in your grace and in your actions, or are they overwhelmed and they think, well, they must be thinking about something else? As a parent, is our faith beautiful to our children? When, when, when our children look at our lives, do they see Christ and beauty and love and mercy and grace? Or do they see hypocrisy? Hypocrisy. Just last night, I'm sitting at the table, hip. In our dinner, we're talking. I'm trying to make conversation with everybody. And so we just set the ground rules. In our house, we have a couple words we don't say. We don't say shut up, and we don't say stupid. Now, our kids think that those are curse words. And so we just don't say those at all. Uh, and there's a lot of different reasons behind it. You know, there's just, there are things. And so last night at the dinner table, Kip looks at me, and he says, How come... When I say stupid, I get in trouble. But when you say stupid, nothing happens. It's tough, man, right? Wow. Woo. I'm like, uh, well, my first reaction is, well, you know, I grew up where stupid wasn't a bad word. <laughs> That's what I want to say. Well, I, I've said that a couple times. Uh, I've said, you know, stupid is something that your mom feels strongly about, but it's something that I don't know I'm kind of on the fence about. That's worse, right? <laughs> uh, sometimes I just say, I don't know. But what I should say is, you're right. And I'm sorry. Because I've sinned against you. And I've sinned against our house. When our kids, I mean, dude, it's tough being a pastor, right? 
you guys hear the talk and then you leave. I have to think about this for months and months. And then my God just hitting me over the head, showing me inconsistencies in my words in my life. And sometimes 10-year-olds are the best x-rays to inconsistencies. As a pastor, what do I preach? Do I preach something funny and sexy and good and nice to hear? Or do I preach the gospel? Do I preach a message that is a scandal on to people and turns them away from the beauty and wonder and mercy and love of Christ? Are my words up here consistent with my words when I go back home and act with my kids and my family? Or are my words a scandal to them? Christ says, be careful. You don't want to cause little ones, followers of Christ, to fall away from the faith by our actions. I want to lead us in some prayer time. Let's pray. Father, Father, before you, uh, I just repent. We repent of our selfishness and our sin. Father, I pray for the fathers in this household. I pray for those of us who are selfish. I pray for those of us who are passive. I pray for those of us who just think about ourselves and don't engage our wife and our kids when we go home. Lord, we need you. Help us not to be a stumbling block to our kids. Help us not to be a stumbling block to our wife and to our neighbors as they see us interact. Father, help us to know what it means to walk with you. Lord, as singles, we, we repent of stumbling blocks and of being stumbling blocks in our world. Do we cause people to stumble with our words? Do we cause people to stumble with our bodies and how we dress and how we flaunt them? just to get a little attraction? Do we cause people to stumble and to walk away with our lifestyles? Father, as parents, we confess our inconsistency in what we say and how we act with our kids. Please, please, we beg you, please don't allow our kids to be trapped by this and to fall away from the gospel. To not love your son like we do, but to hate him Lord, we realize even if we give them a perfect education and a perfect life and they get into the perfect school and the perfect job, that they could lose everything perfectly for eternity because they didn't see you lived out in our lives consistently. Father's wives, we confess how we are not, Father, how we have not allowed our husbands to be the spiritual leaders in our families and in our lives. Father, we, we confess and we pray for the sarcasm and the arrogance that sometimes we show to our husbands, our spouses, in front of our children. Father, we beg your forgiveness and we pray that our kids don't see that and we pray that their marriage doesn't end up being just like our marriage. Lord, we need you. Lord, come to us now and show us how we could cause people to fall. Show us how we could fall, cause people to fall out of love with you and your son, Jesus Christ. The inconsistencies in our life, Lord, we need you to show us these things. 
We need you. Amen. Be on your guard if your brother sins. Rebuke him. Not guard your own life, but guard your heart because that sin's going to come in there and that sin's going to do something. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. Christ is teaching us, he's teaching the church, he's teaching his disciples that as the family of God, it's really important for us to watch our hearts as we're sinned against. He's telling us that we need to come against brothers and sisters and to admonish them, to correct them, to show them the errors of their way. And when, I, when I'm talking about sin, I'm not, when I'm not talking about just a simple, okay, he dropped his gum, but we're talking about things that separate relationships, because on the journey, the relationship is a key. And so anything that comes in there and separates that relationship between us and God and between us and each other, God says that we need to come and we need to go before those brothers and show them that sin. The goal is not to shame them. The goal is to restore them. The goal is to keep the family healthy. The goal is to bring the family together. The goal is forgiveness. Jesus says as a church and as disciples on this journey that we, we must rebuke sin. Even when we don't want to. We must forgive even when we don't want to. You know, often when something happens and I watch, I look at somebody's actions and for me I just kind of think through, okay, something's happening there. Has what they've done affected the relationship between me and them? Has what they've done affected the relationship between them and God? Has what they've done affecting them? Has what they've done affected how Christ is seen in the community around them? Has what they've done a habitual habit that they keep doing over and over and over and Jesus says if those things are true, that our responsibility is to go before our brother and to rebuke him, to correct him, to show him what's going on and to show him that you shouldn't do that. And that the, moment, the moment that he asks for forgiveness, that we're to forgive him. Forgiveness is hard, isn't it? I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's really, really hard. It's like the Bible says that when somebody wrongs you, that you incur a debt. There's a debt taken out. And the only way I can think of it, I've been thinking about this for a long time, it's like we're this, okay, you can tell what my family does. We're this big bowl of ice cream or this tub of ice cream. And every time somebody wrongs you, this scoop comes in and it digs some of you out. And that wrong comes again and they dig you out. And the question you have to ask yourself is, what do you replace that digged out ice cream with? I mean, if you're like me, maybe you replace it with anger. Maybe you replace it with frustration. Maybe you replace, replace it with sadness. Because whenever sin hits us, like that bowl of ice cream being scooped out, it takes something away from us. It might take something away from our character. 
It might take something away from us emotionally. It might take something away from us in our comfort. It might destroy our ego. It might be a financial burden that's taken away. And Jesus says in this passage, as the children of God, when we're wronged by brothers, that we are to eat the debt. There's always a debt. There's always something that needs to be paid. Last week, our car was waiting for the kids to be picked up at school, and a guy pushing a cart, older guy, lost control, and the cart slammed into the side of our car and left this huge dent. Well, fortunately, our car is a 16-year-old minivan, so it's okay. But this huge dent, in, in, you know, and all these things, and, and he was so panicked. What do I do? I, I, I had this debt. I had to pay these things. And I said to him, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll take care of it. Did the debt go away? I mean, for him it did. But the debt still had to be taken care of, right? It still had to be dealt with. It still had to be fixed. And Jesus says that as we go in community, as we're on a journey with relationships, that when someone wrongs you and you've come to them and they've, and that word seven times seven, he's not saying, come back, okay, forgive me, okay. Come back, hey, I messed up again, please forgive me. No, no. Uh, there's a passage where, where Peter goes, hey, if someone forgives us three times, which was a symbol of perfection, should we, uh, they wrong us three times, should we forgive them three times? And what Peter's expecting Jesus to say is, wow, you're great, you're perfect. Because the rabbi said, if you forgive somebody three times, you're perfect. And Jesus says, no. He says, seven times 70. And what he's saying there is, that's like the perfect number. That's what passage, what Jesus is saying in his passage is, is if your brother comes and he sins the perfect sin against you, what would that be? Get you fired? Kill your children? Destroy your marriage? Lose something of great value? Jesus says, even if that brother comes and he does the perfect sin against you, you're to eat the debt. You're to take care of it. You're to forgive him. How's that sound? Now, it's impossible to do if we forget that we're all made in the image of God. If we forget that we're all made in the image of God, we're going to say, instead of my sister who sinned, we're going to say that sinner. And instead of, if we're all made in the image of God, if we forget that, we're going to say, my brother who cheated me, we're going to say cheater. Isn't that interesting? I'm just asking, talking about my own life. When somebody else lies or cheats to me, they lied and cheat to me. But when I do it, it's complicated. You don't know what's going on in my life right now. I grew up, and that wasn't a swear word. And Jesus says, watch your hearts. Because we're always going to have this propensity to explain away our sin. And he says, if you do it, you're, you're lost. You're lost. If we forget that we're all broken and sinful, we can't do it either. 
because we're going to call names. We're going to say, I wouldn't do that. I would never do that. But what Scripture says here is that forgiveness is to all of us that we're to forgive everyone that we're forgiven to the debt. Actually, it's the idea of surrendering what we owe or what's owed to us. Surrendering what's owed to us. How are we doing? How are you doing with the debt? I'm sure most of us have these ice cream buckets that are pretty much scooped out right now. What are we filling them up with? The passage says that Jesus wants us to fill it up with him. That he wants us to fill it up with him. Forgiving debt is always painful, it's always costly, it always costs somebody something. Debt just does not go away, except for in the U.S. government and economy. But everywhere else in God's realm, debt has to be paid. The question is, how are you going to pay it? And who's going to pay it? Let's pray. Father, we... Father, we confess that we are often hard-hearted people with a desire to get even, to be right, to be justified, not to forgive, to keep a score, to rejoice when something bad happens to that person and say, well, I told you so, they, they'll get what they deserve. But your word says something so different that you, you've asked us to forgive, you've asked us to eat in the debt. Father, would you show us your forgiveness to us? Would you show us what it meant for you to eat our debt? Would you show us what it meant for us to experience your mercy and your grace? Father, as husbands, I'm sure that many of us have become embittered, angry, leery of our wives because they don't do what we need them to do or when we want it done or they do things in our household so much better than we can do them. Father, would you help us to forgive those wrongs? Help us to repent of our selfishness. Help us to lead our families by first going to our wives and apologizing to them because we haven't been the servant leaders that they've called us to be, that you've called us to be. Help us to say, I'm wrong. Help us to say, please forgive me. As wives, if any of us have anger, hurt, resentment towards our husbands, if any of us have built walls that have not long been broached for a long time, Father, I pray for the wise in here that they would take the debt, that you would help them to take that and understand what that means. Lord, I pray that they would stop trying to make their husbands pay for it because he deserves it. Father, I pray that you would help them to be servant helpers that you've called them to be. Help them to say, I was wrong. Help them to say, forgive me. Father, show us your forgiveness to us right now. For all of us with so many hurts, so many offenses against us, our parents, our bosses, our workmates, our schoolmates, our best friends, our boyfriends, our girlfriends, people we really loved and cared for and scooped out our life and hurt us in ways that we could never think about. Father, help us to take that debt. Remind us that they were made in your image. Remind us that we're all broken, that we're all broken and in need of you, of your mercy and your grace. Lord, please just show us this forgiveness. We know it's costly. We know that we can't do it on your own, but your word says that you will do it for us and through us. Lord, I pray for every one of us in this 
sanctuary right now as we meet with you that you would show us what it means to be forgiving people. But more importantly, Lord, as a community on a journey and relationships is everything, Father, show us what it means that you forgave us. Father, we need you and we thank you and we pray all these things in your son Jesus' name. Immediately after hearing this, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to the mulberry tree, be rooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. And what Jesus is saying is you don't need any more faith. Jesus is saying you already have all the faith that you need. That when you came to me, it took faith. And that faith that you had when you came to me, that's all you need. The question is, are you going to appropriate that faith? Are you going to trust in it? Are you going to live in it? Jesus is saying with just a little faith, the people of God can do amazing things, amazing things. And so what he's telling his disciples here is you don't need more faith. You need to use the faith that I've already given you. Don't try to manufacture more faith. It won't work out. What happens is that we need to have a simple faith in an amazing God and trust him to walk with us. Verse 7 through 10, Jesus goes on and he tells this story that everybody would have understood because in Jesus' day, everyone had slaves. Did you know that? It's not slaves like we think. But even the poorest people usually had one slave. Slavery was usually incurred by debt, financial debt. And you had two choices when you made a financial debt. Either you went to prison or you became somebody's servant. Often, people gave their kids to people as servants or slaves because they couldn't feed their kids. My, my grandparents tell me of growing up in a depression and where their kids had, they had a big family and they had to be pushed off to the aunts and uncles because they couldn't afford to feed their family during the depression. And so in Jesus' day, when he told this story, what he's talking about within this community, the how, the why, and the what, it all centers around this idea of service, to serve, Everybody would have understood the illustration. Everybody would have had a slave. And everybody in reading verses 7 through 9 would have said, well, of course they would do those things first. That's what slaves do. Slaves do what they're supposed to do. They do all those things first. There's no expectation. As a master, my slaves are always going to do what I expect them to do. That's just what's said. And then in verse 10, Jesus turns the tables and he goes, okay, now, in reality, God's the master. And you're the servant. How are you going to handle that? Because everything that Jesus has asked his disciples to do in verses 1 through 6, watch out for sin, rebuke your brother, forgive, walk in faith, serve. Those aren't special things. Those are just things the people of God do. Does that make sense? It'd be like you doing your taxes this week and you fill out your tax form to the government or to whatever country you're for and you write out your check and you mail it in and after a week you get really angry and I say, What's, why are you angry? And you go, well, they didn't send me a thank you note. You don't expect a thank you note when you turn your taxes in. It's just something we do. And Jesus is saying here that all of these things are just things that we do. Reprove, correcting, correcting, forgiving, being careful of sin, loving our neighbors, serving. All of these things are just things 
that we do as the family of God. It's nothing special, but it's what we do. Jesus is trying to tell his disciples here that if you and I, if they understood the gospel, if we understood all that Christ has done for us, if we understood the massive debt that God forgave for us at the cross, if we understood that Christ came from heaven as the master and he became a servant and he served us, if we understood that on the cross, his last words in John, now my wife got mad at me last week because I yelled out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and I said, oh, that's too loud, too loud. Okay, his last words in John were, It means it's finished. It's completed. Every debt is done. I've paid every debt in your life. I'm continuing to pay the debts that you do. Everything, to tell us die. It's done. If we understood that Jesus on the cross through his blood took everything, what he's saying here in this passage is, then serving would be easy then forgiving would be easy. Then being careful of sin and not wanting to lead people astray would be easy. Then walking in a community on a journey would be easy because it's what God has called us to do. The four big ones Temptation, accountability, forgiveness, faith, service. Jesus is walking to the cross, and he wants us to realize as his people that this is what it looks like to walk with the people of God. How are we doing? Does that make sense? Yes, no, yeah, yeah. What do we learn from this about Christ? We learn that Christ makes our life possible. We learn that he fixes everything, that he counsels the debt, he brings us to the Father, he enables us to walk with the Father through faith, through his spirit, and he brings us together in a community that's to serve him to act counterculturally and to do amazing things in his kingdom. And the question is, do we want that? Do we trust him? Or do we want to be God? Do we want to take our debt? Do we want to sin? Do we want to cause people to go astray? Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this passage, which is, in some ways, <laughs> a very interesting and hard passage. As we look at our lives, Lord, I pray for those of us in here who struggle with temptations and sin. Lord, as a community, we come together, help us to walk with each other Father, help us to be involved in each other's lives 
more than just Sunday. Help us to think the best of each other. Help us to realize that we are all made in your image and that we are all broken and we need amazing amounts of grace and mercy. Lord, help us to be a community that doesn't shoot our broken brothers and sisters, but be a community that brings them together for the purpose of restoring and healing. Father, teach us this week what it means to forgive. But more importantly, Lord, we just pray that we would understand more what your Son has done for us in forgiving us. I know, Lord, that there are some people in here who have no idea what I just said. They could care less, and uh, they're ready to go eat. And what I pray for them now, that whoever brought them, whyever they're here, we know that there's no mistake that people are here, that you would speak to them. Pray that your Spirit would open their eyes and their hearts to their need for you. I pray that they would see your Son, Jesus, as beautiful and true, and has come to fix their life in the brokenness of relationships. Lord, I pray that they would have the courage to say, well, if God is real, God, please just make yourself known to me. I want to see what this is all about. And Lord, for the rest of us who struggle with forgiveness and mercy and sin, we are so thankful for you because the journey isn't finished here. We're still taking step by step in relationships. The journey is finished in heaven. So, Lord, as we're on this journey, we just cry out and say that we need you. We need your hand in your, our lives. We need your spirit to change us and to fulfill us and to make us what you've called us to be. And, Lord, I pray for this church, your church, to think of the church that Jesus was growing up, that this is a picture of it 2,000 years later after he went to the cross and rose from the grave. Lord, help us as your people not to forget these things. Help us not to forget what it means to be your children. Help us to love the people around us and to point them to something wonderful and beautiful, your son Jesus. Lord, we need you. We pray all these things in his holy name. Amen.